0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, we are thinking today about climate. Uh, We're thinking about, you know, the... The way this world is uh, sort of thinking, uh, you know, if you, if you Google climate change at the, mo- at the moment, um, apparently this world is in... Sorry, I shouldn't say apparently because it makes it sound like already... Anyway, I don't say apparently, but the world would say we're in a climate emergency. OK, we're in a climate emergency. And I, until I started Googling climate change and how significant it is, um, it's really significant for a lot of different people. Uh, there's a whole... There's a a climatechange.vic.gov.au. There's a whole website dedicated to it. Uh, There's a number of big PDFs that you can download. And there's a lot of uh, goals and vision statements and allocation of money that are seeking to combat the climate crisis um, that this world is in. Um, uh, There's uh, the World Wildlife Foundation, headed up by King Charles himself. Pray for him, Um, you know, which has a number of different reasons as to why we should be caring for our environment. They're good reasons. Um, Although some of them are a bit trite, like, you know, coffee and wine is going to become more expensive. It's just like, really? Anyway, um, uh, anyway. But then there's that side. There's people that are worried. There's people that are concerned. There's people that, you know, are going to keep recycling because that's the way. And then there's also some people that are just like, no, it's a joke. Sorry, this, this microphone is a joke. Is that okay? Is that better? No, he's not looking at me. Um, some people say, no, it's a joke. Some people say, no, it's a hoax. Some people are just like, no, it's just the government doing government things. And, um, you know, it's, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says there is no, the, the, the righteousness of God is not found in a comment section on Reddit. Um, I don't know which verse that is. It's probably in, you know, that's in the LGV translation. It's divisive, right? And it's a thing, climate change. It's a thing. Now, in all of the confusion that we could get swept up in and all of the conversation and all of the chatter, uh, there is one place that we can go um, when we find ourselves stuck in the fog of war, which are these divisive issues. And that one place that we can go is the Bible. Um, and do you know what? I should say more than that. Uh, not only in the fog of war and in divisive issues should we go to the Bible, but all the time we should go to the Bible for lead, to be able to look to lead a life of love and purpose and meaning. So today we're going to look at the Bible uh, and we want to look at the story of the Bible and the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to see how the Bible actually explains what it is, what we feel about this climate stuff. I want to see how the Bible gives us clarity and confidence to negotiate um, these sensitive issues and these um, highly energetic issues that people have put a lot of thought into. Now, what is the Bible story? You know, there's a few new people here today that... um, uh, may not be familiar with the Bible. What is the story of the Bible? Well, the Bible starts with, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. So we want to start with, who is God? We want to look at the Bible. We want to see, who is God? Who is the main character of the Bible in terms of explaining this world that we have? Um, God. There's three perspectives that we can learn from God. The first one is, how does God introduce himself? Who is this God from the Bible? I think it's really important to let God speak for himself, not to let others speak for God, because maybe they're wrong. Let God introduce himself. And we can, Exodus 34, God introduces himself. And he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, sorry, merciful and gracious. So I memorized this and I've already forgotten it. Merciful and gracious. Slow, abounding in steadfast love. Keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Notice that when God introduces himself, he doesn't say, I'm an angry, vengeful, wrath-filled, evil dictator. That's not how God introduces himself. He's a God who is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So the story of the Bible starts with this very good God, a beautiful God. That's how God introduces himself. But then we also get the perspective of the heavenly beings, the perspective of the angels that dwell in, in God's company that are ministers and are servants of God. And the angels, we get a little peek behind the curtain as that opens up. And the angels, when they are before God, what are they saying about him when they get to see him? We read in Isaiah 6 in the Bible, the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's these angels, they're called seraphim, which is like a big six-winged fiery creature. And they've got six wings and they're covering their faces and they're covering their feet and they're flying around. That's like, God, he's so amazing. He's holy. He's perfect. He's wonderful. Fearsome, beautiful, holy, perfect. This is God from the perspective of the angels. In the beginning, God. And then also we get to see how... Uh, People respond to what they see of God when God reveals himself. We look in Exodus 24, uh, the story of when God liberates his people out of the land of Egypt. He rescues them from slavery. So, you know, God's not into slavery. He rescues them from slavery, a physical oppression of his people. And when some of them, they get a peek of God. And what is God as he reveals himself to them? A, dev- a devouring fire. Fire. I think fire is such a beautiful Illustration of who God is. Look at that fire. Warm, inviting, comforting, full of life. But then fire can also be really scary. Fire can also be all consuming. Fire can melt things, turn them into dust, make them vanish. Our God is a consuming fire. You must have a great respect for fire. You should fear fire for what it can do. We can love fire for what it can do. And God reveals himself as fire. So we see a good God, merciful God, loving God, holy God, perfect God, a God who is fire, inviting, terrifying, a penetrative light. And in the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God (laughs) made the heavens and the earth. That's all right. That's, she is expressing what everyone else is feeling. Hopefully not. <laughs> we see at the start of the Bible, God is a, a purposeful God with a plan. He's a purposeful God with a plan. Because not only is God a devouring fire, inviting, tar- terrifying, a penetrative light, he's also an artist. He's a builder. He's a designer. He's a craftsman. Because it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where we sit right now, where we look look at all, look at this, look at this beauty. How good, amazing. Have you ever like intently looked at a leaf? And like the veins of the way that it supplies its energy and the way that it grows. I mean, how beautiful is this time of year? We've got an apricot tree in the front of our yard, it's just gone to blossom little white flowers, little watercolour marks of pink coming from the base. They're now turning to apricots. Like how good is God? It's like, yes, I'm going to give you flowers and I'm going to make those flowers something that you can eat and turn into a pie and share with people and have good times. God is a creator. He creates the heavens and the earth. And creation. it's significant to note that God is a creator, isn't it? Significant to look around at us and see what creation tells us about who God is. Psalm 19 that Leah read for us, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day by day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. So not only does God introduce Himself, not only do the angels give us a reflection of who God is, not only do people actually are able to communicate who God is, but everything we look around us declares the glory of God. Jeremiah 10:12 says, "It is He who made the earth by His power. He established the world by his wisdom and his understanding stretched out the heavens. It was the Lord by wisdom who founded the earth by understanding, He established the heavens. In the beginning, God created. But then we see the climax of God's creative momentum, don't we? The crown jewel of what God had made, the worship leaders of God's creation, the caretakers of God's creation, those who would contribute to God's creation. And what is that? It's in our reading, wasn't it? God made man and woman. Then God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds, over the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and everything creeping on the earth so God God created man in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them and God blessed them and then he said be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it humanity very good creation very good man and woman a special place in God's heart Loved and adored, most appreciated his intricate work designed to enjoy and participate in and reflect the loving community of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So we see the opening words of the Bible, of the story of the Bible is a loving creative God who creates out of his own character, something beautiful, something wonderful, something amazing. He puts a family in a garden and he sets them on a course to become a holy nation in a holy city because that's where the Bible ends, isn't it? The Bible starts with a family in a garden and the Bible ends with a nation in a holy city. Now, we need to remember this. We need to remember who God is. We need, to remember, we need to remember that God creates. We need to remember his character. We need to remember his plans and we need to remember his purposes because remembering those things is going to help us understand things like the climate and how we engage. But then we also need to remember the next step in this story of the Bible, don't we? The next step in the story of the Bible. We only have to get to chapter 3. Chapter 3, that's not that far in, in case you are not up to speed with numbers. God has an enemy, doesn't he? See, God is good, God is holy, God is pure, God is righteous, God is just, but God has an enemy who is not good, who is not pure, he is impure. God has an enemy who has limited power, limited capacity, limited presence. But despite being lower than God, this enemy didn't know his place. He's a jealous, envious, evil spirit. Some may know him as Satan. Satan. Some know him as the deceiver, some know him as the prince of lies. Now look, this enemy of God, he could attack God, he could, like, he, could, he could attack God, but what's he gonna do? Like, God's a fire, can't attack God. So what does the enemy do in chapter three? He doesn't attack God, he attacks instead what God loves. See, the enemy doesn't have power enough to corrupt God But the enemy did have power enough to corrupt God's creation. The enemy sought to divert God's crown jewel piece of his creation, his people, off the course and away from the future of God's plan. He has them walk in a different direction, doesn't he? He has them believe other things about God, doesn't he? That's why we want to know who God is by what God says about himself. Because the enemy comes in and says, did God really say Sow seeds of doubt about God. The enemy tells lies, the enemy outright deceives. And God's children, our forefathers, those that have gone before us, were diverted into a different direction. They believed other things about God. They believed them. They bought into the lie and they were lured away to what is corrupt. And they contracted themselves out of to God's plans. They moved out of God's house. They moved out of a family of life to one of death. Despite God's warning, despite God's love, they moved out of their community of light and they decided to start their own community of darkness. Despite what God had promised, they instead pursued the lie that to be like God was better than to be loved by God. This is what happened. This is the account of what it says in the Bible. This is what happened after the first family bought into the lie of the enemy. Genesis 3 to Adam, God says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. The actions of the first family infected, infected all people that then came after them, didn't they? The family tree was rotten from day one and it was now growing in hard, cursed soil. We read in Romans 10, 10, it says, claiming to be wise, they, which is the world, which was some of us, became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They're just, they're worshipping stuff. Therefore, God gave them up to their heart, lusts of their hearts of impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies and themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the, cre- the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The devil sits back, looks at his work and goes, mission accomplished. While they're not hanging out with God, they got no hope. They can have a destiny of death just like me. I know I'm stuffed. I may as well bring down as many as I can with me. So we see from the story of the Bible, even the first couple of chapters, the Bible explains why this world is so hard to engage with. And we haven't even got to climate yet, right? So what is the big problem in this world? Sin. Who causes sin? Us. Us. To be honest with ourselves is to actually see that we're all selfish, rough and lazy, prideful, power hungry, exploitative. That's what we do, isn't it? The Bible explains why our default mindset is to exploit rather than to enjoy. Rather than stewarding what God has given us so that we may glorify and enjoy God, instead our proclivity, our default behavior is to exploit what God has given and serve ourselves. That's so often what we do, isn't it? So often what we do. It's a disaster being born into this this life of sin. It's separation from God. It's a trajectory that has no hope. And how does God feel in all of that? How does God feel, you know, loving, Good God, Adam, Eve, enjoy paradise. Let's hang out. Oh, they wanted to go the other way, rejecting me and all that I'd given my love. You would think that all things are now lost, wouldn't you, from those first three chapters? You would think, how could a holy God ever take back his Children, his creation. Well, the story of the Bible, it not only shows us why this world has gone wrong, it also explains to us how once again it will be made right. Because you see, um, God, He is, is holy, 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 but He's also merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God who we love. And do you remember how the story started? The story is that the start of the Bible is of a loving, holy, powerful God, a purposeful God who has a plan. Now, just think about this for a moment. Do you think that the plans of a God like this, good, powerful, holy, do you think that the plans of a God like that can be overthrown by a jealous, rebellious, evil, created spirit? Satan who is lower than God, Satan who has limited power, Satan who has limited capacity, Satan who has limited presence. Do you think, who do you think is going to win in that battle? Not Satan, let me tell you that. See, God's plan of a good garden to a holy city And to be a family, to be a holy nation, led in partnership with his crown jewel of creation, humanity, that plan, that still remains. So what does God do? What has God done? Well, in line with his purposes, God, we see in the Bible, he made some promises, didn't he? You see, as a devoted father seeks to literally move heaven and earth to save his children from the evil of this earth. God as Heavenly Father promises to make a saving way for this creation. Rather than throw it all out, this world, his people, they are so valuable to him that rather than to just hard reset, hold the button for 10 seconds and restart it all, he thought to renew, renew it all. And how does he do that? Well, we've thought about creation, we've thought about fall, and now we get to God buying back what is His redemption. Redemption. Now, it's not possible to deter God's love for His creation and for His purposes for creation. It's not possible to deter His love because God is love, okay? It's who God is. And the story of the Bible shows that the time. The the story of the Bible shows God made good on a couple of his most significant promises. And that is when when your Bible turns from Old Testament to New Testament. We see rescue and we see deliverance and we see renewal in the most beautiful way possible, in the most mysterious way possible, in the most unbelievable way possible. And it's when God himself enters in to his creation. God takes up the lead role, but now in a brand new way. What does he do? becomes a man. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And if you want to find the treasure in God's story, X marks the spot. Look at the cross. You see, the most significant event of all of human history and the most every single human feeling, trouble, joy, purpose can trace its origin back to the cross. And it's the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. See, the name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. The name Christ means anointed one, Messiah, promised saviour, redeemer. We look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus' life. We see God live out the way that he called his people to live out through the person and work of Jesus. And we go, wow, that's really compelling. That's amazing. That's what it was supposed to be like from the beginning. And, but then we see God, who through his son, we see Jesus die on the cross, we see him die. And we should go, that's not right. That's not karma. He didn't do anything wrong. How on earth does he, how on earth can he be betrayed? To be brutally murdered, hung up naked on a Roman cross after being tortured by a battalion of soldiers and betrayed by his friend and sold out for 30 pieces of silver. That's not right. But it's in Christ's death where we find forgiveness and reconciliation and hope. Because Christ Jesus, in dying, you know that thing, sin? And that thing that tainted the family, that made the tree rotten? Jesus says, yeah, give that to me. Let me take that from you. And while I'm holding on to this, I'll take this to the grave. That's awesome. That's God's love. The love of a father is like, I'll take the punishment in on myself. I'll take the hit. Don't worry about it. I'll take the hit. I'll pay the price. It's like, you've got an outstanding account. I'll pay that. You're stuck in prison. I'll go in there for you. Yeah, you can be released. But it doesn't end there, does it? It doesn't end there. Story of the Bible. What happens next? Does Jesus stay dead? That's not a trick question. Okay, all right. If you don't know the answer to that question, come back for Easter. Um, Easter Sunday. Jesus is alive. Three days later, rises rise back, back from the dead. Reassurance to all of us that nothing is too far gone. Nothing is too far gone. Nothing is too far gone. No one is too far gone. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead after a brutal crucifixion, Jesus Christ, giving us confidence to all of his words and all of his life of what he said beforehand. There wasn't just the promises of saving from sin. There was also a few extra promises that Jesus made, a few extra revelations. And when Jesus comes back from the dead, it's just like, okay, I might take this guy seriously. Probably worth listening to. The guy who said he was God. The guy who made some pretty outrageous claims unless he actually is God comes back to life. And he says, come on, come back into the relationship. Redemption, the price has been paid. I am the bridge. As I hung on the cross, I reach out to you with one hand and I reconnect you back to God with the other. And I bring you back together. That is why I've come. You know that plan where you're meant to be in God's family, but then you stepped off that path. I'm bringing you back into the family. Adoption papers, I'm ready to sign them. We're all good to go. Do you want that? You know that purposes, work with God, be in divine, be in a deep abiding intimacy with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and work with Him in the restoral of all things. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be a part of like, you know, working towards the Holy City? Look, I died on the cross for your sin. I'm, I can wash you by my blood. I can give you a fresh start. I can give you new birth. Baptism shows us this. You know that weird thing that Christians do? Baptism, washed, cleaned made new that's what jesus does dying to self going down into the grave and being lifted back up again that is showing us the fresh start that everyone has if they come to the lord jesus christ it's being reborn it's being born again new family new community fresh start washed clean i'm ready let's go new purpose new confidence new identity And freely given freely given read on a website the other day I'm not going to mention the uh, the type of church which church it was but they were charging people to be baptized yeah we'd love to um, just uh, affirm you in your search of self and your newfound spirituality and we will baptize you and um you know you can now go to that school it's only going to cost you the sweet ass fund of sweet as price of 150 dollars which you can make payable to this account that is not the good news of the gospel that is not how god works jesus when he dies on the cross he says it is finished it is done and he says so he's leading up to that moment. He's like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, follow me. He doesn't say, buy a ticket and meet me here. He simply says, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Think of when he dies on the cross, who's next to him? One of the criminals that dies with him. And this criminal, he realizes that he's been on the wrong side of God's plans. He realizes that he's been a contributor to the sin of this world. He realizes he's done a lot wrong, and he's there. And he effectively is like Jesus, um, "I know I'm meant to be here. Can you remember me?" It says, "Truly, today you will be with me in paradise." Do reckon you that, reckon, that, reckon that guy dying next to Jesus had some time to uh, you know, clean up his resume of righteousness to make himself good enough so he could go to heaven? No. What did he do? He looked at Jesus. Beautiful Jesus, Saviour Jesus, Rescuer Jesus, Redeemer Jesus. And he believed that he could be saved, that he could be brought back into relationship with God. This is called the gospel. The gospel is the good news in the story of the Bible. And it is on offer for all who would seek to should want to be included into God's plans. But that's not all. It keeps getting better. There's recreation too, isn't there? Recreation. That's the next step in God's plan. So God starts the spiritual work. He's doing that right now. He's invited people to come and join him in that. But where will it all end up? What are the final chapters of the Bible? Well, we saw there's the holy city. Jesus says, I am making all things new. All things new. Spiritual liberation towards the physical physical liberation. And this is the hope that we hold on to. This is the hope that I hold on to as a follower of Jesus. I can endure hardship now because there is rest later. I can go without now because I know I will have in the future. I'm willing to look like a fool now and preach a weird message about a dark guy dying on a cross for people's sin because I, have, I am 110% confident that there is a future ahead of us that makes this existence just, what was that? You know, I think about heaven being like, you know, when you go to check your phone to send a text message and all of a sudden you find yourself 10 minutes later on Instagram, you're like, what was I doing again? I feel like that'll be like when we get to heaven. What are we doing back there again? I don't know, but this is great, Instagram. No, I shouldn't compare Instagram to heaven. Anyway. Now, so far, hopefully you are enjoying being reminded again of the gospel, of what is of first importance, that Christ came to give us new life now in the kingdom of God through what he has done, through what has he achieved. And some of you are probably, the more analytical are probably thinking right now, what has this got to do with climate change? Like, we're going to talk about that. I have a couple of concluding thoughts. There There is a significant overflow effect and implication for creation for those that are the redeemed people of God. For you see, the spiritual renewal that God is doing now in the lives of his people, it has an overflow effect into the physical renewal that he will one day complete in this world. Now, there's overflow. Now, for those that have responded to the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, their Lord, for those that have responded to Jesus' invitation, come and follow me the Christian is one who can just live a beautifully simple life because everything that they've ever sought for before in their past life is fulfilled in him. In your hardest moments, as a believer in Christ, you know you can have, feel like you've had everything stripped away. But when when you realize that Jesus is all, all, when you realize that Jesus is all you have, it's in those moments you go, "Well, He's all that I really need." There's a simple living that grows trust in Christ and a simple living where we're not seeking to fill our desires with stuff or things or experiences or purchases or whatever it might be, because instead we are looking to Christ for our fulfillment, turns out that's good for the environment, right? Like if you're someone that doesn't need to buy a new car every two years because, you know, you're not trying to virtue signal to your neighbour next year, that's, you know, that's, a, that's going to be good for the environment, isn't it? Sorry, I know you guys bought a new car. I'm not having a go at you guys. This it's a lovely car. We bless that car in Jesus' name. <laughs> but if you are a disciple of Christ, you are safe in God's hands. God will provide. We don't need more stuff. We have Him. One Timothy six. I love this passage, and it challenges me so much. T- Paul writes to his like junior. It's like Kimsey writing to me, you know, an email. Uh, yeah, you're like Paul, and. Um, and Paul says, you know what, Tim? Godliness with contentment is of great gain. He's talking about the love of money. He says, godliness with contentment is of great gain. Now, would it perhaps benefit our creation that God has made if we didn't keep trying to satisfy our desires with materialism, but instead satisfied our hearts with our maker? I think, I think there's some overflow there. I think, you know, I think, I think that benefits where we live. John Piper writes, we can be content with simplicity because the deepest, most satisfying delights God gives through creation are free gifts from nature and from loving relationships with people. After your basic needs are met, accumulated money begins to diminish your capacity for these pleasures rather than increase them. Buying things contributes absolutely nothing to the heart's capacity for joy. Like, sure, you could put Jesus... Next to like a three story house in the sands, you know, right next, you know, just two minutes walk from the gap. I'm taking Jesus. We are content. We are tenants. We are tenants. It's easier to look after something when you, know, when you have seen the face of the one who owns it. The Bible in Jesus Christ gives us the face of God. God, who is the Lord, who is our, also our landlord. Like if you're renting a property and you just like completely screw it up, firstly, you're a jerk. Now, if you're living on this, on, on this planet that God has made, which he has given, which, which is yours to steward, and you exploit it and just for selfish reasons, just use everything you can for your own self-satisfaction, like the landlord at some point is gonna be like, dude, what are you doing? Like this is my house. And there's people coming in after you like, why are you ruining it? Now, that's just like the fear of God. But there's also like the motivation to do that from the love of God. There's also a motivation which is just like, holy moly, I'm still alive. And God loves me despite my sin. This is amazing. God, how can I honour you with my entire life? And my body? And you've given me a house. This is incredible. Wow, I can't believe this. Well. Well, what can I do? God, how can I be a good steward of the gifts that you've given me? The money you've given me, the time that you've given me, the talents you've given me, the creation where I get to live. We are tenants. And I think as Jesus says, love your neighbor, as we care for the things that are around us, we can also love our future neighbor. One other reason why I think, um, I should say, here on the surf coast, we have, an in, we have an incredibly wonderful opportunity to minister to the people around us. We're in a really, we have a, we have a, we have a very strategic moment of evangelism in a climate emergency. I don't know if you guys realize that because uh, Timothy Keller talks about how we can make Jesus known and how we can go on mission to people. He talks about connecting with people and then he talks about that you want, to, uh, you want to make a connection based on common ground, and then at some point you sort of want to show them like, yeah, that's cool, but there's something better. Or that's cool, but it fails. There's something better. Now, we live on the surf coast, right? We have four bins, for crying out loud, four bins, one for glass, one for greens, one for reds, one for recycling, you know, and it's like virtue signalling, right? If you only put your red bin out once every two months, it's just like, oh, yeah, we have hardly any waste. It's like, good on you. Yeah, righteous- that's not righteousness to get you to heaven. Anyway, sorry, I'll stop ranting. But there's people around here that care about creation and that is so good. That is awesome. That's one of the common, the common threads that runs through these climate emergency websites is they all, have the, they all have a like, who we are, what we do, where we live, but none of them have a the reason why, or very few. The closest you can get is Amnesty International. The rest of them is just like, we've got a bunch of reports and we're allocating funds over here because everyone's doing the climate thing. Isn't that great? Whereas we can go, with like, you love the environment, can I in- you love creation, can I introduce you to the creator? <laughs> what an awesome evangelistic opportunity. And think about why people want to restore and why they love the environment. It's because it's beautiful, right? They're just like, we don't want polar bears to die. So it's like, yeah, no, neither do I. Polar bears are awesome, you know? And the people are like, the Great Barrier Reef, if the temperature goes up by 1.5 degrees, the Great Barrier Reef is bleached. And it's just like, yeah, that's terrible. That's really bad. But can I tell you about something that's even more beautiful than the Great Barrier Reef? Like, what is the business model of an art gallery? To go in there and to look at beautiful things. The beautiful things of this world are a pointer to the artist who made it. And we can go, hey, can I, can I tell you about the image of the invisible God? Can I point you to the person and work of Jesus Christ? who made it all. Can I introduce you to the one who like, who made the leaves? Who designed the apricot? There's common ground to be able to share with people. And I mean, and it's, it's like, it's common ground that's great to be involved in. You know, Esther and I, we've been planting with, you know, some of the friends down in Cozy Corner planting trees. It's great. It's, it's a great way to get to know people and to, you know, show your love and care for the environment as well. There's some ways of evangelism which you don't want to participate with what people are doing, you know, to make connections. You know, it's like I'm probably not going to join a bikey gang so I can, you know, share Jesus with them. I'll pray for them, but I don't know. Firstly, I'm not going to buy a Harley. That Why would you do that? Um, triumph. Anyway, and secondly, there's some things that the, bike, the bikies get up to that I'm probably not going to honour Jesus if I do too. Anyway. This is a moment of mission for us all. Three objections. People might say, this is all temporary anyway. Why bother? It's all going to burn up. Jesus has made the effort to save you. The declaration over you in 2 Corinthians is you are a new creation. So I think we can, that gives us, if, if we can work on ourselves, we can also work on the world around us. Some people might say, oh, yeah, but recycling, its all I watched a documentary and it's all corruption. It's all the man that's trying to make money and I'm not going to recycle because it's the man. Just like, you know what? Think about your inner man. People look on external experiences. Externals, God looks at the heart. Maybe recycling is a con. Who knows? I don't think it is. I mean, you're drawing a long bow. But if your genuine motivation is I'm going to separate my milk bottle lids and my peanut butter jars for the glory of God. Great. You know that discipline will have overflow disciplines in your life. If you're always thinking about how do I honour God right now and you're doing that with your recycling, you're probably going to do it with your body and your time and your other things that are more uncomfortable to talk about from the front of church. And last one, it's all too hard. These are the objections. What difference will I make? Well, ask yourself this. What difference does personal holiness make? A lot of the the people will say, oh, I couldn't be bothered doing the climate change, making a difference, investing into my community. People don't see it anyway. Paul writes to the Colossian church, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming in these you too once walked when you were living in them. The righteousness of the Christian life that God desires is one where you can say the same thing. What difference will this make? No one's going to know what you do behind a closed door on a private web browser. No one's going to know. No one's going to know if you recycle an aluminium can or if you put it in the bin. But the discipline of just doing the little things will form our character over time. Like what if once a year you could just put one sin to death? Just one sin one thing that you know is just doing your head what if once a year you could do that who will you be in 20 years time i'm going to argue someone that is honoring god more perhaps even pointing others to christ dallas willard writes we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it or even when we believe that what when we believe that we believe it we believe something when we act as if it is true a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. In church, at home, with the Christian mates, you can talk about what you believe as much as you like. But until we begin to bring the reality of it, until we begin to actually live now in the kingdom of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, you're just talking. And when you begin to live what you believe, it is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to see God at work in the life of someone who knows that God is at work in their life. You know, when they decide that God is good, when they take God at his word and they remember how he introduces themselves, how the angels see him, how the people of the Bible saw him, when you see someone that is taking the way of Jesus seriously, it is beautiful. And it is beneficial to all. It is beneficial to society. So let us practice taking Jesus seriously and focusing our lives to live like him. Living in a way that cares more for others than ourselves. Living simply. Living in the confidence that God will satisfy our every need. And he's already shown us, because he's already shown us he's taking care of our greatest need that separation from God and you know what living that way might just have a few positive impacts on the environment I'm gonna pray and invite Sandra up to pray after this I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer from the book of common prayer because we've already heard today how Anglican we are Lord we give you thanks for most gracious God for the beauty of the earth for the sky and the sea, for the riches of mountains, plains and rivers, for the songs of birds and the loveliness of flowers. We praise you for these good gifts and pray that we may safeguard them for our posterity. Grant that we may continue to grow in our grateful enjoyment of your abundant creation to the honour and glory of your name now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church,